Well, good morning and welcome to Gateway Church. This is the first of our online-only services. Uh, we are taking a break from our in-person services just to allow people to, to rest over the summer period and encouraging everyone in the church to invest in their friendships and relationships with others. We're trying to facilitate that by having a six-week teaching series uh, called Friendship Matters. John Wilson started this last week looking at what a friend we have in Jesus. Today I'm looking more at the, church, the, the relationships, friendships within the church, friends who are family. Uh, and next week we'll be looking at something a bit different again and then some kind of Bible studies um, for three weeks as well, looking at specific friendships within the Bible. Uh, a lot of what I talk about today, um, if you've read this book we've been recommending, True Friendship by Vaughan Roberts, a lot of it will feel familiar because I've borrowed quite a lot from him uh, in terms of my talk today. I, I, if you haven't read it yet, I would really encourage you to read it as well. It is a fantastic short read. Get in touch with the office if you want us to send you out a copy, and uh, I'm sure you will find it helpful and enjoyable. Throughout the Bible, a really positive picture is painted of friendship. In Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 to 12, we read this. So two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-breaded cord is not easily broken. It's a, it's a fabulous picture, isn't it, of what friendship can be. However, here's what the Christian counsellor and author Paul Tripp says. He says, we live in an interwoven network of terminally casual relationships. It's pretty brutal, this quote. He says, we live with the delusion that we know one another, but we really don't. We call our easygoing, self-protected, and often, I love this phrase, theologically platitudinous conversations, fellowship but they seldom ever reach the threshold of true fellowship. We know cold demographic details about one another, married or single, type of job, number of kids, general location of housing, etc. But we know little about the struggle of faith that is waged every day behind well-maintained personal boundaries. One of the things that still shocks me in counselling, even after all these years, is how little I often know about people I have counted as true friends. I can't tell you how many times in talking with friends who have come to me for help that I've been hit with the details of difficulty and struggle far beyond anything I would have predicted. Privatism is not just practiced by the lonely unbeliever, it is rampant in the church as well. So, let me ask you a question today as we start out. How full is your friendship bucket? Are you satisfied with the level of friendship in your life? Or are you hungry for more, for better, deeper friendships and relationships with others? Coming back to Paul Tripp's comments, is, is that a true description of the friendships within this church is privatism rampant. Are many people lonely and without friends? My observation would be, yes, it's true for many people, not for all. Some would probably say 
yes, I have good friendships. I am satisfied with the level of friendships I have. But I, my suggestion to you today is that this loneliness, this I have lots of friends but no close friends, no good friends, I would suggest that it is far more common even in this church than you might realise. Very genuinely, it's a theme I hear quite a lot from, from numerous people over the years. It's been, I, I look around and it feels like everybody else has good friends, or not everybody, but lots of other people have good friendships. I don't feel that. We can often be criticised for being a church that is good at making people feel welcome, good at that initial, hi, come and be part of us. But actually, some people struggle to establish good, deep friendships. They don't automatically happen for everyone. Just my observation would be a kind of point of caution, and I'll kind of touch on this later, really, is that it, you may well look at a lot of other people in the church and assume that they are in good, deep friendships and you're the only ones feeling isolated. Actually, my suggestion is that if you were to talk to and ask those people who you think have full friendship buckets, many of them would actually say they're craving something deeper too themselves. When I was around the age of 20, I think it was, and from the outside, you would probably have assumed my friendship bucket was full. I was surrounded, had a really good group of, of really friends and acquaintances, people who we hung out a lot with, did a lot of stuff with, ran the youth work with, a whole load, a whole big group of people having a great time together. But actually, deep down, I felt quite lonely. Uh, there was one activity as a youth worker, I was actually, I, I led the activity myself and we, I can't remember exactly what it involved, but what I do remember is there was a whiteboard or a, a paper chart on the wall and people had to write words to describe themselves. I invited the youth group and the youth leaders to participate in this and I found myself actually writing on that, um, that board lonely as, as a way of describing myself and my own experience. Interestingly, one of my fellow youth leaders actually um, was doing the activity themselves and came up upon this um, activity and, uh, and recognised my handwriting and had a quick chat with me afterwards. They were surprised. That, how can that be so? Like you, you seem to be so well connected. You seem to have so many friends and yet you feel lonely. I felt really challenged by that. And actually, for me, at that stage in my life, it, it really took a crisis, uh, some difficult stuff that I, I was kind of wrestling with, my, my own rubbish, really, that I was having to work through. It took a crisis for me to reach out to a couple of good friends who were similar age to me, who, who just responded really positively. And in that season, were just really good, faithful friends to me. I needed them, but it was a crisis that made me reach out to them. Before that, I'd been quite lonely. These days, I'm actually incredibly grateful for those around me who offer me friendship and put up with, with my kind of, at times, truly average friendship that I offer back to them. Preparing this talk has caused me to reflect on the friendships I do have, the relationships I have in my life, and I can honestly say that I feel really blessed to have a whole range of friendships that I, or relationships that I can call friendships from fellow elders and colleagues to an accountability group of four guys who, who support me, encourage me, are friends to me, 
families, couples and singles that Rona and I are close friend with, friends with, guys that I might go and play sport with and catch up with. I have a varied relationship, friendship life, and I'm truly grateful for all of the people who God has put in my life. So what is friendship and how do we go about making friendships or deepening relationships so that they can be considered true, meaningful, close friendships? The author C.S. Lewis points out that while the picture of lovers is often kind of face-to-face, delighting in one another. He suggests that the characteristic pose of friends is is more side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Friendship begins, he suggests, when people discover a common interest or passion. He says it's found when we discover those traveling the same road with us and we decide to walk together. That's an appealing picture to me. I hope that it is to you as well. And honestly, it should be the case, shouldn't it, that Christians, we we have the the ultimate common passion and shared goal. We've been called to follow Jesus. We are part of his family. We're journeying towards an eternity with him, with God, seeking all the while now in this life to to align our lives with him, to, to allow him to influence and lead us in every area of our daily lives. That in theory should provide enough common ground for us to find making and establishing and deepening friendships within church more easy, easier. That that should be a thing. Now, an interesting thing I read this week actually about friendship is that it's not only nice to have, it's not just one of those things that that we think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have great friendships? It's a desirable thing. It's actually also essential to our health. It makes a measurably large impact on life expectancy. Robin Dunbar, who is actually an evolutionary psychologist, he studies friendships and relationships in people and primates, I'm led to believe. He claims that research shows that friendship is more significant for our health than things like what we eat or whether or not we exercise. Isn't that incredible? Apparently the one thing, the only thing that that will actually make a bigger impact on our health outcomes other than the level of friendships we have is whether you smoke or not. Isn't that incredible? I, I just think that is totally crazy and equally wonderful that God made us in a way that means that if you are relationally healthy, if you have good friendships, you'll be physically healthier and you'll live longer. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? That blows my mind. It really does. Now, I recognize that we're all uniquely wired, so friendship does work differently for each of us. Alongside that, we're all at different places in terms of our friendships and relationships, and some might be totally fulfilled, others might be feeling like completely lonely and isolated. Most of us will be somewhere in between those two extremes. Therefore, today, what I'm going to do, actually, is uh, something that I pretty much never do when I'm speaking. I'm going to go for a scattergun approach today. I've got 15 points that I'm going to quick fire through. And, uh, and, and I'm hopeful that probably not all of it will be relevant to you, but I'm hopeful that some of it will. Maybe just like one or two things you go away with and think, that was for me. I need to act on that. Okay, so these are a combination of 
pearls of wisdom from the Bible, from trusted authors and studies and science, and, and mixed in there as well, just some of the things that I feel like I'm learning in life, really, from experience and from others kind of speaking into my life, all around the issue of friendship. So the first section, the first 12 points, are going to be <clears throat> about how we go about establishing and growing friendships. The, the last three after that are going to be slightly different. I'll kind of come to that. So the first point is this, really simple, and it's front and centre in this book, if you've read it, is this, give and you will receive. This is what Vaughan Roberts says, who is the author of this book. He says, the secret of friendship is just the secret of all spiritual blessings. The way to get is actually to give. In other words, the way to have good friends is to be a good friend. Instead of lamenting that no one invites us for a meal, that our church is so unfriendly and that everyone relates at such a superficial level, let us take the initiative to open our homes and lives and see what happened. It's basic, isn't it? It's basic upside down kingdom stuff. In giving friendship to others, you receive it back in an enormous, satisfying way. So our focus has to be on more, more about being a good friend than sitting and waiting for friendship to happen or someone to be a good friend to us. The second point on a linked theme, if you want deeper friendships, we need to be people who initiate. We need to be initiators of friendship. We need to do something about it. Be the one to ask, be the one to take a risk. Do you remember that feeling? For, for some of you, it might be an ongoing current thing. For some of you, it might have been uh, long ago. But that feeling of asking somebody out on a date, that kind of anticipation, the risk, the excitement, the, the fear of rejection. Oh, my word. What if I ask this person out on a date and they say no? It might feel similar for some of us, if we actually need to take a step of initiating friendship, will, will, will I be rejected? What, what if they say no? What happens if it doesn't work out? What happens if I take a risk and say, I really want to be friends with you? And, and they're kind of just a bit standoffish. I, I'd imagine the feeling of fear could be quite similar to that of asking somebody out on a date. But you know what? I am so grateful that someone did this for, for Rona and I seven and a half years ago when we had a whole load of acquaintances. We're trying to spread ourselves wide and get to know lots and lots of people, but we were hungry for something deeper. At that point in our lives, Dan and Bethany, uh, some of our good friends, they actually wrote us an email asking us if we wanted to take our friendship to the next level. They, they took a risk. And you know what? I can only imagine how risky that felt, how that must have felt for them, but we are so glad that they did. I really hope that they feel glad that they did too. We need to initiate, ask, take a risk. The third point is this. You don't need loads of friends. <laughs> Nobody does. In fact, you can't have loads of friends. Again, Robin Dunbar, the evolutionary psychologist, he's done loads of studies and science around this. He suggests that almost universally, we only need, a person only needs around five friends. Uh, this guy, Robin Dunbar, is actually best known for something called the Dunbar number. You might have come across this before. What is it? Well, what he says is that the conclusion from lots and lots of research across all kinds of people across the world is that actually 
people, societies, consistently organize themselves into groups of around 150 because this is the maximum number of people you can know at a kind of basic friendship level. What he says is that actually this number of five roughly then triples at all kinds of different layers of relationship. So what he would say is typically a person can have about five close friends, they can have about 15 best friends, they can have about 50 kind of friends who you know and, and kind of know of, and then 150 who it's in, into that next category of like, I kind of know who they are, know what they do, but not much beyond that. Uh, and then about 1,500 people that we just know by name and we know very little else about them. I think that's well interesting. I think that is really interesting. It's actually a well-known fact that church leaders talk about all the time that there's this really big barrier around 150 as a church that you struggle to grow beyond it. Seems actually it's naturally because that's just how people organize themselves. The thing that really resonated with me about this in terms of you don't need loads of friends, you just need five, is actually just look at Jesus. So it, it would be well kind of agreed if you look across the Gospels, the writings about Jesus, his life, but actually he had a close group of three, three disciples who he, he shared everything with, was very close with, and, and had a, a deeper relationship with than anyone else. Beyond that, he had a wider group of 12 who he called his friends. They were his disciples. And, and actually, even one of them was willing to betray him after three years. So, you know, Jesus' friendships, I'm sure, had all kinds of issues and challenges, just like yours and mine do as well. And beyond that, he definitely had a larger group of people who followed him, supported him, encouraged him, friends and acquaintances. If Jesus could only maintain three really deep friendships and then kind of 12 deeper, you know, not quite as deep friendships, then maybe that's all we need. Maybe we only need a handful of people who we can call our really close friends. So what do we do about this? I want to suggest that we need to be careful not to try and actually spread ourselves too thin. Maybe we shouldn't be aiming to have too many really close, deep friendships, because ultimately we won't be able to sustain that. We won't be able to keep that going. We won't be able to be a good friend to more than just a handful of people. So while it does sound kind of ruthless in some ways, we actually need to go for quality over quantity. When it, it, it doesn't mean we have to be rude to people or not friendly to people, but actually we need to be realistic about the number of friends that we will be able to sustain. And, and this guy reckons about five, you know, who knows, three to five, something like that. So we actually need to be quite selective in where we invest our time in terms of friendships. Fourth point is this, be open and vulnerable. It's the secret to developing trust, to, to deepening friendships. Let's be honest about this, men in particular can really struggle with this. Vaughan Roberts again, he says, unless men are able to resist this unhelpful understanding of masculinity and be able to be vulnerable with each other, they will always have companions, but not friends. We need to be open and vulnerable. My fifth point is this. True friendship is more like a slow-cooked dinner than a microwave meal. 
don't know if you've got a slow cooker at home. We've got one, and when you walk in the door after work and there's a slow cooked meal in the slow cooker, it just smells incredible. It takes time to just create flavour and depth to your meal. Aristotle said, he said, the desire for friendship comes quickly. Friendship does not. No one can make friendship happen instantly. Yes, sometimes you can really just quick, uh, click with people, can't you, instantly. But actual friendship takes time. We need to be people who invest in long-term friendships with others. Think about Jesus. He, he ultimately, those, those close friends of him, of his, were friends because they spent three years together, not just seeing each other every once in a while, but doing life together, f- traveling around together, doing ministry together, eating and drinking, being community together. Those friendships Jesus had took time. They were built over that three years of public ministry. Rona and I actually get a, a whole load of people being very encouraging about the depth of relationship that we have with Dan and Bethany. They are just really good friends. And uh, the funny thing is that after they, we call it out their kind of proposal when they sent an email to ask if they wanted to deepen their relationship with us. But after that, we spent every Sunday night with them for about three years. We just went around to their house eating crumpets and drinking wine together, getting to know one another, tackling life and the world's problems together, crying together through difficult times, encouraging one another. This three years of doing this together built a foundation that has lasted for years since where we haven't been able to, just in this stage of life, still regularly meet with them on a weekly basis. We, we don't see them that often, to be honest, anymore. But those three years of weekly contact just built a solid foundation. At the start of this lockdown the pandemic, when support bubbles uh, were first a thing, we actually created one with Faith, who many of you will know as well. We committed to eating Sunday lunch together as she came around at least once a week as well, or we our kids went there just to kind of hang out and be together. We've carried that on for over a year now, just consistently being together. And the funny thing is, the other Sunday, there have been a couple of weeks where in a row, Faith hadn't been able to come round for Sunday lunch. And our kids were like, where's Faith? We really miss Faith. Building friendship over time, it takes time. But in the end, you end up with friends who are family. That's what happens. My sixth point is this, be realistic about friendship. Don't expect too much from your friends. They're not Jesus. None of us are. They're not perfect and they will never be your perfect friend. Vaughan Roberts again, he says, friendships can actually be destructive if we look to them to take the place that only Christ can fill. We need to be realistic. Number seven, Forgive friends when they get things wrong, because inevitably they will. In Ephesians 4.32, we read this. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. The reason, we're imperfect, so we need friendship. We need forgiveness to cover over the imperfections and the failures that inevitably we're going to have in our friendship to others. Number eight, ask questions, good ones. Don't you just love how Jesus often, somebody comes to him and asks him a question, we read this in the Gospels, and he just fires a question back at them. 
Now, yes, a lot of the time when he's doing this, he's clearly just trying to unpick a little and work out what's actually going on behind this question. Yes, it is a tactic that he uses in that way, but it strikes me as, as it, it shows me that Jesus was willing to ask questions. He, he would have been the kind of friend who asked good questions of others. Have you ever come away from a meet-up with somebody, you might have gone for a drink or a walk or a coffee or something with somebody, and come away thinking, I'm not sure they actually asked me a single question. I feel like, you know, I asked them questions, they just kind of talked at me. How, how does that leave you feeling? <laughs> it, it leaves you feeling like, I'm, I'm not sure I really want to spend that much time with that person. They just talked about themselves the whole time, didn't really ask me any questions. It was a kind of one-way thing. Are you inclined to want to spend much time with that person again in the future? Let's be friends who ask questions and even ask deeper questions, who go after a, an extra level, taking things up a level, asking a, a better, deeper question that's just going to unlock things and take us to that place of openness and vulnerability. Number nine, probably my favourite point so far, eating and drinking is key. Uh, one commentator describes Jesus as, as a man who ate and drank his way through the Gospels. Jesus' critics actually accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. Now, Jesus wasn't a glutton or a drunkard, absolutely, because he was perfect. He didn't sin. However, he must have, if you think about it, the logical conclusion is he must have eaten and drunk enough to, to kind of warrant that sort of questioning and criticism, to have the religious people worried. Uh, maybe this isn't a question you'd often hear from the kind of front in church, but do you eat and drink enough to annoy religious people? <laughs> I don't know. I just think this is so key to, to relationship with other people. Jesus did it. He absolutely did it. Hospitality is key to friendship. You don't have to cook a wonderful three-course meal. Not in the slightest. We developed our friendship with the wheelers over three years of crumpets and cheese and being introduced to crumpets with Marmite and then cheese on top, which is brilliant if you've never tried it. Thank you, Dan and Bethany, for that one. Number 10, face-to-face uh, -face is essential. The science says it. Uh, online, phone, text is a great way of keeping in contact in between times, but we need to be face-to-face -face with friends to develop meaningful relationships with others. As restrictions ease, let's make sure we're getting together safely, yes, but with other people. Number 11, have fun. Laugh a lot. Friendships don't always have to be serious, deep, kind of intense things. Do things, do activities that you enjoy together. If you're a guy and you don't like the idea of just sitting and talking with somebody, get out together, do something, play a sport, do an activity. From the Gospels, it's pretty clear, actually, that Jesus had an absolute blast for three years with his, fr his friends, running out of food in the middle of nowhere and needing miracles to bail them out, nearly all dying in a storm uh, on a lake and needing a miracle to bail them out, getting kicked out of towns, heading to major festivals. They had a whale of a time, absolutely. Number 12, and final point in this section, look to God for that supernatural love for others. We can't, in our human sinful nature that is always trying to make life about us, we are never going to find enough strength, energy, love for other people to be good and true friends. We have to look for 
to God, to God alone. Say, God, I need your strength to help me to be a good friend to this person. Again, Vaughan Roberts says this. He says, our self-centeredness is what destroys our relationships. They cannot be fixed from within, but rather need a deeper love that comes from outside ourselves. The love of God in Christ. Now, for my final three points, I'm going to rush through these and uh, get us to the end. But this section is really about how we relate to other people's friendships, because I just think this is a a key thing in the life of a church and creating a healthy church culture. Because let's be honest, the way that we view and talk about and think about other people's friendships can, can actually lead us into some pretty unhealthy stuff if we're not careful. So the first one is this. Don't make assumptions about other people's friendships. It's easy to actually assume, to look at some people and assume, you know what, you are friendship fulfilled. Your friendship bucket is full. It's also easy to look at some of the people and assume and think, wow, they look so lonely. They, they must be lonely. We need to be careful that we don't do that. Many people who you think are friendship fulfilled are not. They're lonely on the inside. And some people who you think they clearly don't have any friends are just quietly getting on with friendships in, in, in quiet, in private, not shouting about it for the world to see. Let's be people who don't fall into the trap of thinking that somebody, somebody else's social media posts are a true reflection of their real lives. Sometimes we can go beyond, a step beyond making assumptions, can't we? And we can fall into the trap of jealousy. So my second point here is actually this. Let's not covet other people's relationships. When God gave the Old Testament Ten Commandments, to his people. One of them reads this, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. That's a (laughs) catch-all. I would include your neighbor's friendships in that. I'd suggest that it's easy, it's so easy to look at other people's friendships and think, I wish I had their friendships. I think we need to avoid that. We need to reject coveting, being jealous, being envious of other people's relationships. Now, thirdly, these two are both key, okay? First two points, really key. Thirdly, the third point, final point, is I I want us to go beyond that. I want us to go beyond just like rejecting making assumptions and rejecting being jealous and envious. I want us, I'd love us to be a church who celebrate friendship when we see it in others. When we see other people who are clearly, there's a good friendship there. Let's be people who bless that, who encourage that, who celebrate that. I'd love us to be a church that looks at a friendship and says, yes, I love that you have great friendships and I'm praying for even more of God's blessing in the friendship department for you. So there you have it, 15 points on friendship, rapid fire approach today. Let me finish by coming back to the questions that I asked at the start. How full is your friendship 
bucket. How full is it? Are you satisfied with the level of friendship you have in your life right now in this season? Not looking back, not thinking how things were previously. Right now, how do you feel about the level of friendships in your life? Are you hungry for more? If the answer to that last question is yes, then I'll have a follow-up question. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it if you're hungry for deeper friendships? Remember that quote from Aristotle, the desire for friendship comes quickly, friendship does not. I hope that I've stirred something in some people today about that desire for friendship. Uh, That comes quickly. We can quickly reflect and review our lives and think, yeah, I could really benefit from having greater friendships in my life. I could really benefit from being a good friend to more people. It's easily come to, isn't it, that desire for friendship. Friendship itself is not. So we need to bear all of that in mind. We need to be people who invest time in friendships. So who, which friendships are you going to invest time in this summer? Is there someone you want to have a frank conversation with and say, I actually want us to take our friendship to the next level. Are you up for that? I'd love us to, you know, couple to couple, single to single, uh, with a a group, a small group of people. Can we do more than this? Can we go deeper? Can we commit to that together? Can we agree to this together? Let's not just skirt around the issue and just hope friendship happens. Can we be intentional about this? Over the summer, like I mentioned at the start, we have stopped our formal gatherings to try and create some space for friendship to develop. Will you take this opportunity to invest in friendships? Not next month, not next year, not when circumstances change, not when life's a bit easier to manage this kind of thing. Right now is God stirring you to do something to create or you know, create new friendships or invest in your current established friendships. I want to pray for us and then we're done here this morning. Father, I want to thank you that you created us to be in friendship with others. I, I loved coming across that uh, stat this week about how our, our life expectancy improves when our friendships improve. God, I love that you made us that way. Would you help us to be the kind of Christians who seek out good friendship, who don't settle for that description that Paul Tripp gave at the top of kind of privatism and and just going through the motions of shallow relationships. God, I pray you would stir us to have deeper friendships. I pray that we as a church would be known. One of the marks of us would be that we have good friendships here. God, help each one of us as individuals, as couples, as families, whatever our circumstances are, help us to do something about this, to offer friendship to others, to seek friendship out from others. Help us to take something away from uh, all these crazy number of points today. Help us to take one thing maybe each away that we can do to invest in and grow our friendships. And help us, God. Give us, by your spirit, would you give us that supernatural ability to love others beyond what we can manage in our own strength, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning, folks, and we will see you next week.